But if you will allow me to look at one thought that the woman discuss with the Lord Jesus or that the Lord Jesus discussed with the woman on the subject of worship. And I want to ask the question from this text, why should churches worship? You're a church, you're a New Testament group of believers, you're organized to carry out the Great Commission. And so what is it that moves you, what motivates you when it comes to this subject of worship? I know that worship takes discipline, doesn't it? There are times I don't feel like worshiping, right? With all that God has done and all that God is, still there are times when I don't feel like it. In those times, discipline kicks in. And I worship because of a truth. God is always worthy of the worship of me, a creature. And so in the name of worship, you'll find many different things today. You go across Christendom. You go across independent fundamental Baptist churches like my wife and I do. You'll find there's a lot of stuff happening in the name of worship. And I have to be honest with you, it ain't. <laughs> I'm just being honest with you. I've been in the services, okay? I've seen people not literally swing from the rafters and the light fixtures, but they came pretty close. And they do that in the name of worship. And I think to myself, hmm, I never see that anywhere in the Bible. It's funny how that works out. I never see it in the New Testament, especially. I find people that gather in thick crowds, and there is this group up, up front on a tall stage, and they're playing their guitars, and they're playing their music, and there's people jeering and jiving and jingling and dancing and going on, and, and, and everybody looks at that and they say, that's worship. And I think to myself, I don't find that in the Bible. I find no examples of that in the Bible where people are jeering and jarring and praising the individuals who are presenting this music. Okay. But I've also seen occasions where Christians gather together they go through the motions and if you were to approach one of them and ask them, why do you worship? And they would not be able to tell you why. And that bothered me. Because verse after verse in the New Testament, as well as the Old Testament, give instruction on this subject of worship. And so, if you will allow me, I'll share just one point with you. Is that okay? Just one point. We can endure that long, right? And so why should churches worship? I think that the Bible teaches that churches should worship because of the instruction that is afforded you and me as Christians and as members of local New Testament churches. The Bible gives us also, in conjunction with those instructions, examples of New Testament churches 
engaging in worship. And from this, I hope that uh, what you have started here and what you're doing here will be amplified and will continue and it will be something that you are entirely conscious of as you engage to worship. If, when I'm done today, if what you do in worship is more intentional because of something I said, then I have done my job. I have done my work for today, amen? And I want it to be something that you do on purpose. You come with that intent in mind. So the first reason we'll give you as to why we should worship is that the Bible clearly directs us to worship God. It's a basic idea, but it is found right here in our text in John chapter number 4. The Bible clearly directs us to worship God. Now, if, if God says something in one place, that's enough, right? God said it. But he says this repeatedly. And I want you to hear it in John chapter 4 and verse number 21. Listen to it, please. Jesus saith unto her, woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, so the Bible clearly directs us to worship God. And these are the words of the Lord Jesus. They become extremely important to us because of that. Now, in the New Testament, Jesus is the true Lamb of God. Amen? We all would agree to that truth. And we're thankful for his death. Because his death ended the need for animal sacrifices. The book of Hebrews tells us that in chapter number 10, verse 11 and 12. And so the Old Testament illustrates how Jesus would be the key to bringing together God and man. A reconciliation would take place between God and man. And God is now able to save men that come unto him on the basis of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're familiar with that as well. Hebrews chapter number 8 verse 5 principally tells us that. And so Christ today, and Christians I should say today, we come together for the purpose of worship in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now what does that consist of? Let me give you a couple of things that we see in the verse that we read in your hearing. Is it true that the Father is seeking such to worship him? And what is he seeking for? What kind of people? Those who worship him in spirit and in truth. Jesus says to this woman who at the time 
this woman uh, who was a Samaritan. He says, you Samaritans, you worship and you don't know what. We worship as Jews and we know what we worship. Now, he introduced the subject of Jews and Samaritans, right? He introduced it. Jesus did. When it came to the Jews, they had this outward form of worship that mirrored and mocked the letter of the law. When it came to the Samaritans, well, they rejected most of the Old Testament and only held to the first five books of the Bible. So there was no commentary on the first five books of the Bible from the Old Testament. So their worship was without truth. It was very emotional. Jesus says to both groups, Jews and Samaritans, he says, you Samaritans, you don't know what you're worshiping. And you Jews, you only worship in truth. You Samaritans, you only worship in spirit. It's emotional. He says God is looking for true worshipers. And what are they? People who worship God in spirit and in truth. In other words, they worship according to truth. That is, they look at what God said and how God revealed himself in the entire Bible. The Bible is included, amen? Truth. But they do not do it in such a way that their heart is divorced from what is said in the word of God or going through merely the motions of it. They literally engage their hearts. Amen. And so the combination is that they are doing what God requires and their heart is in it. That's the kind of person that God is looking for as a worshiper of him. So God desires the heartfelt worship of his people then. He seeketh such to worship him. Amen. Now, how many of you believe that the highest uh, thing that we can ascend to is the worship of God? If you're kind of like me, then that's what I believe. One of the greatest things that we can do is worship God as God. Amen? And as such believers, the Bible requires that we not merely be people who do the right things but that we do the right things for the right reasons. Amen. Amen. And the Father pursues this. The Father seeks this in worshipers. Why, the Bible even calls angels to worship God. Amen. Listen to one of the passages in Psalm 29 and verse number 2, it says, Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Well, that has application to you and me. But God was talking to the mighty at the time. Read it. Go ahead. Read it. I encourage you to. Exposure to more Bible is always good for us. Amen. <laughs> and God says, even the angels, the angelic beings, must come before him to worship him and to do this in a spirit 
of holiness. Now, let's ask another question and let's go to the book of Acts chapter number two. It is there I want to read a very familiar passage to you. You see, the, the Jerusalem church is an example and it instructs us also as a part of the Bible, beginning in verse number 41 in Acts chapter 2, we see the early church and the early Christians in action. And it's a worship that is being described, uh, 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 that is being described in these verses. Among the other things, we find worship. Now let me read the passage here in verse beginning in verse number 41. It says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, uh, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles, and all that believed were together and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men, every man had, excuse me, as every man had need. Verse 46. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Marvelous, isn't it? We get just a little bit of a glimpse inside of the life and functioning of the early church at Jerusalem. And it is remarkable how they continued steadfastly in the devotion to God and to the apostles preaching and teaching and, and how they were a part of the church's fellowship and how they were guilty of breaking bread together and sharing their foodstuffs with each other. And on and on it goes. And they sensed that the presence of God was with them. They engaged in corporate worship and praise. You see, part of the reason they came together was to praise God. The Bible says they were praising God. You thought I made that up, right? <laughs> I didn't. It's not original with me. But oh, I want to mimic it with everything in me. There's a question that I must ask myself and that we all can ask ourselves. Do I find something in God that is praiseworthy or am I merely stating something because it's on the overhead? Do I think about him in terms of what is praiseworthy, worthy of adoration, worthy of my love, worthy of me paying attention to? Or, is I, or am I merely repeating something that people who have religiosity say? Something to think about. 
I had to ask myself that question. And certainly there is within God things that are praiseworthy. What are some of the things that we praise him for every now and then? Well, we say, well, the Lord is faithful. And we praise him in that regard, you see. And when we make a big old fuss about it, it well, that individual is really getting out of the banks. Somebody needs to tap them on the shoulder and calm them down, right? <laughs> it is all right to note the fact that God is faithful. Sometimes we celebrate the fact and praise God for the fact that he is good. And we'll say something like, God is good all the time, all the time, God is good. And we celebrate a truth that he is indeed good. Sometimes when we look at the fact that God is generous, on any, any given day we can look at that and say, this is the day the Lord has made, I will rejoice and be glad in it. And we take it personally upon ourselves to ensure that we praise him in light of his generosity to us. I, I find myself sometimes feeling so ashamed when I have looked at a meal, knowing that it came from the hand of God, and I prayed a trite prayer over that meal. I'll say to the little wife, I say, well, let's pray for the meal. And uh, I'll say something like this. This is not exactly it, but it's something like this. I'll say, God, we thank you for the food we're about to receive. May it be received with thanksgiving, and may it prove to provide nourishment to our bodies. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. I said, let's, let's eat. And so we will then partake of the food before us. But you know how trite that is? Let me ask you a question. If I came to you and made the same statement every day, if I came to you and made the same observation every single day, you would say to me or to yourself, he didn't hear a thing I said. And you would be right. Or he didn't pay any attention to me at all. And you would be right to come to that conclusion. And how many times do we go before God instead of recognizing that he has indeed been generous, we say something that is rather routine and we miss another opportunity to truly give him thanks for being generous to us. Amen? Am I, am I strange here? I think I'm in the book. Yeah, yeah. So they offered corporate praise, corporate praise. They were persistently faithful also. They continued steadfastly. It suggests that they were single-minded and they were faithful to the church meetings. They continued steadfastly, the passage says. So they were persistently faithful and then, lastly, they were marked by this deep respect for God. The Bible says that fear came upon every soul. It's not the kind of fear where you're afraid or frightened of someone or something. It's the kind of awe, reverence, or deep respect 
that we offer to the Lord. Amen. You and I have and should have, and it's rightly stated of us that we possess a genuine respect for God. I've heard people say at times, you disrespected me. And I look at them sometimes and say, okay, how did I disrespect you? And they'll spell it out. And I'll say, yep, you got a point. I'm guilty. I disrespected you. I didn't mean to, but I sure did. I remember spending some time in Germany. And in Germany, there's a couple of things you don't do. You just don't do it. If you do it, you disrespect the people, you see. And I don't ever mean to disrespect the Germans, right? And so there was one thing that they would never do. Now, for us as Americans, or for those who of us who have been bred as Americans, we will crisscross and shake hands across each other. We'll do it in a heartbeat. We don't even think about it. But with Germans, you never crisscross to shake hands with anybody. You wait until those individuals are done, and then you reach across to shake hands. It's never a crisscross thing. It took me months to catch on. But I finally got it. Even I can get it, amen? <laughs> uh, I respected them as a people group. I remember at a time when our church was quite diverse, and this is when I was pastoring in Germany, in Ansbach in particular. Oh, my goodness. In any given service, we would have people represented there from at least five, six, sometimes seven different nations or nationalities. Now, we had a common denominator in that we spoke English. Yay! <laughs> That helped, <laughs> really it did. Uh, but, um, but again, they were originally from different countries. And there would come a time when we would shake hands, much like you do or used to do here, and we'd greet each other in the mornings. And there was one lady, her name was Sung Hee. Sung Hee was from Korea. Now Sung Hee Makadori, Makadori, Brother McAdory was, of course, an American soldier at Ansbach at the time. Song Hee was originally from Korea. Well, obviously, they met each other there, right? They were married. I would shake hands and move through the crowd, observing the German characteristics, of course. But whenever it came to Song Hee, my handshake looked differently. It looks something like this, and I'll try to illustrate it as best I can. I would extend my hand, and I would use my left hand to pull back my sleeve a little ways, and then I would shake hand with Song Yi, and there would be a slight bow. She would mirror the very same thing. I learned it from her. I first learned it when I asked her, why do you bow and why do you shake hands with this? You always have this movement. She says this. She says, in Korea, we would move back the sleeve to show that there was no sword. There was nothing in the hand to hurt a person. And then we would extend it for the purpose of a handshake. 
the bow express respect. So I learned to respect those cultures. Now, you get me in the right situation, and I can be quite a diplomat. Yeah. I learned that by respecting people. But there is one greater than mere people whom I'm called upon to respect and have even fear towards him. And that is God. How much more so should I be acquainted with what respects him? Amen. And these believers in the Jerusalem church, the Bible says that fear came upon every soul. That means every believer stood in awe and uh, in reverence of God, respecting him in the deepest way possible. There's something else that we find among those early believers, and I'll close with this, I promise. I'll close with it, I promise. It's in Luke. Listen to the words of Luke chapter number 24 and verse 49. This is a depiction of the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says this. And behold, I send the promise of my father upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass that while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. Now watch verse 52. It says, and they worshiped him. And returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. There is much that we can glean from that. But did you notice that they had great joy? And that they were continually in the temple praising and blessing God because of what they had beheld, because of what they had witnessed, there was this joy that characterized them as believers. What a wonderful thing it is. And we have occasions where God visits with us every Sunday. Occasionally, he visits with us on, on a Wednesday, midweek service, Amen. It's a blessing when a saint of God remembers that and they go back to God and say, thank you for visiting us. That's a blessing. But even more so, if we want to add to that, there would be the saint of God who mirrors and who portrays and who exudes this kind of gladness because God was with us. Amen. Oh, how we as the people of God should be a people marked by this gladness. It should be 
true of each of us. You don't find anybody that's a Scrooge having a cloud of gloom uh, over their head, and as a result of it, they have a wet blanket ministry. You don't find that kind of person here. You find instead great gladness characterizing these believers, and even those who were lost, look on them and they could see, boy, there's something different about them. Would to God that difference about them would be, in part, a gladness because he was with us. Amen? Oh, child of God, I, I, I look at the word of God and I say to myself, well, Brother McCray, there are times I feel like weeping. Then weep. Weep with those that weep, but we rejoice with those that do rejoice. Amen? Amen. I'm not asking you to be fake. I'm not asking you to be pretentious. But if God has been in our presence, my soul, somebody ought to be glad about it. Amen. Amen. That's what we find when we look at the church in Jerusalem. It is instructive, isn't it? Very instructive. And the Father is searching for true worshipers. What characterizes them? Spirit and truth. They honor the truth. They approach God through the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. They approach God through the truth. Amen. The word of God is the truth that they take to heart that reveals God to us. You know, at times I look at this Bible and I see things from me, but I also see things about God. Amen? You do too. Don't give me that look. You do it too. We see things about God. And when we come to a consciousness or realization that God has revealed himself to us in that passage Oh, how special we feel. And that is right to feel, feel special that way because God disclosed to you particularly that insight regarding himself. You should feel privileged. You should feel special for that. And as we come together to worship, we don't only go through the motions. Our hearts are and so we worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. Yeah. The Father's looking for that kind of worshiper. My prayer is that, they, that he will find such a worshiper right here at this address. Not only on Sunday mornings and Sunday afternoons, but on Monday, I'm that kind of worshiper. On Tuesday, I'm that kind of worshiper. You see, it's not in Jerusalem nor in these mountains that I worship the Father. I'm not limited to a space or place. I can worship him all the time, all day, any day. And he'll receive it if it is in spirit and in truth. Amen? The Father is looking for that kind of worshiper. May he always find that kind of worshiper in you and in me. Let's pray together. Father, 
Thank you for the time in your word. Thank you for the insights that you have highlighted and elevated for this time. God, you wanted to make us aware of these truths on purpose. Now that we are aware of them, ignite them in our soul. Father, for those of us who already were conscious of these things, ignite them afresh in our hearts and in our minds, in our souls. Make us blazing testimonies of your presence in each of us. And when we come together, may we indeed worship you in spirit and in truth. May this be a continuation of our worship of you throughout the week. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. All right. I do not know because I failed to ask the pastor uh, what should happen next. So, so. I, I, I'll take a cue from you. <laughs> You're dismissed. <laughs> <laughs>